Welcome to Marvin Methodist Church's Sanctuary Service. My name is Doug Baker. I'm the lead pastor of the church. Today I'll be starting a new sermon series entitled Putting Resolute in Resolution. Our focus today will be on seeking the living water of Christ rather than filling our lives with things that often disappoint. May God speak to you through this message. Let's join in as the sermon is underway. Has a nation ever changed its gods? And that they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And Jonathan, give that piano a rest. It earned it. The music today, Jonathan, Kara, Sue, has been tremendous. It's been a blessing to be in this beautiful sanctuary on this beautiful Sunday. Good to be with you in worship. We want to meet God here, don't we? We want God to speak to us this morning, so let's pray about that. God, you've spoken to us through music. You reminded us of the shortness of our lives here and how yet you are calling us heavenward. And so now I pray that as your word is proclaimed, you might speak through me. May your Holy Spirit encourage us. May it challenge us. May it teach us. As your word is proclaimed, use me, Lord, now as your, your vessel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, today's message is about seeking the living water. You may have picked up on the theme both through our music, through our liturgy, through our prayers this morning. We're talking about the living, flowing water of God that nourishes our souls, that feeds us and keeps us alive in God. And yet, how often we're ready to just move along to the next thing, get off to the new year, make our resolutions, and, and uh, leave the thoughts of God and commitments to Christ behind. Last week was a glorious week, as we shared in the Wesley Covenant Renewal Service. We want to continue that theme as we now look at this being uh, bringing uh, resolute to our resolutions. We'll be talking about that in just a moment. But I want to share with you what my week after Christmas was like and what last week was like. After a meaningful Christmas week with children and grandchildren, it's always good to be with family and enjoying those kids and our, our children and our grandchildren. And then last Sunday, that glorious covenant renewal service, beginning the new year, remaining committed and renewing our commitment to God, and then having that buffer day. Wasn't that great? It was good that uh, we had Monday as a vacation day to kind of get us ready for just to enter into the work week. And I thought I was ready. And then friends, we had a trustee meeting on Tuesday. And mostly those meetings aren't bad at all. But as I've already announced to you, and as you've seen in the back of the bulletin, it was uh, told to us by our attorneys that by changing these articles, we just couldn't do it as a board of trustees and send that letter off to the state uh, secretary of state of Texas. We have to vote as a church. Well, you know what that means to me. You remember the last time we had a church vote? <laughs> I think I went through a PTSD moment when I heard those words. 
I thought we were through with this. I thought we were just gonna put a little bow on it, do the, do the paperwork with the state because we are incorporated, but to have a church vote, I know it's not gonna be a big deal. It's gonna be very much different, but just that idea of that last step revealed to me because what happened after that, and you could talk to Dr. Pat Day, who's my mentor and friend and colleague in ministry who I work for, who has been a blessing to me. I had to call him that day and say, Pat, I need to talk to my coach. And I'm sorry, Pat, it didn't work as well as I'd hoped it would because on Wednesday and Thursday, I was still upset about this. I have a Myers-Briggs personality, Jay, for those of you who've done Myers-Briggs study. That means you like to get things finished. And in my mind, I thought that we would come into the new year, we'd have our new hymnals, we'd have new signage on the building, we'd be done with this, right? And then on Tuesday, we'd have this little meeting, we'd send the stuff off to the state, we'd get the corporation name changed, and we're all good, right? And this meeting, just kind of the fact of a church vote, just kind of, just kind of caused me to stumble a little bit. And I realized I've got an idol, my personality, likes to finish things, get it done, move on to the next. And that's a good thing. You want a pastor who likes to get things done, right? But it's not a good thing when it disrupts your whole week, when there's a change, of course. So now we have to notify the church family at least 10 days in advance, and now we need to call another church vote. And it just means that we're just going on a little bit longer than what I thought was gonna finish. But for this guy whose idol is, I was already moving on, it disrupted my soul. It disrupted my soul. Could you relate to that? My wife, Gina, can tell you, I came home Tuesday night and I was not a happy camper. <laughs> my prayer warriors who I met with on Thursday would tell you I was still dealing with it. And I just know that God's got some work to do still in my heart. And friends, if you take notes in these sermons, I want to just uh, have you write down this statement. What are my idols? You don't have to list them now, but you can think about it throughout the week. Because I think my idol is being productive, and that can translate to lots of things. Because that begins to affect being successful, right? And then when you gotta drag things out a little bit longer, you can't get it done in the timeline you thought you were gonna get it done, then it can affect, when it begins to affect the way you go home at night and maybe your inner peace and your relationship with God, then friends, it's an idol because I put getting things done ahead of God's peace, joy, and love. Those words should sound familiar. I'm so glad the Christmas decorations are still up because Advent is about what? Peace, joy, love, and hope. And you know what? This will get done, but I let it trash three days of my week. So what are your idols? What is it that, let me just help you out with this. What is it something that preoccupies your mind more than your love and your desire to please God? What is it that you put before God that makes you feel safe, comfortable, finished, successful, that you put before God. If your identity is in what you do and getting things done, then you have an idol that might need to be dealt with. So our resolutions we're talking about this year, maybe about losing a few pounds, getting better at doing exercise, reading the Bible throughout the year. Several of you are doing that with me and several in the church. 
right? Following the plan. But what about crushing a few idols along the way? Those things that have a way of creeping up ahead of the flowing streams of living, fresh water of the Spirit that God wants for all of us. The church, friends, is a transformative community. By that, I mean I come here, you come here on Sunday mornings and throughout the week, and we want to continue to be made more like Jesus Christ. Amen? We want to continue the growth process, and when we have weeks that get unraveled like I had this week, we can come back and get a new start, and we can celebrate that God truly has a plan, and God is working his plan, and God is faithful, and God will work through all the setbacks, and we will arrive where God wants us to be. That's the desire of my heart, that God continues to do good work in us. So resolutions comes from the Latin word resolve, which means we have to make up our mind. And I put the word resolute resolutions together because I love the word resolute. It means admirable, purposeful, determined, unwavering, faithful, steadfast, loyal, persistent, resilient. And those are the attributes I want to be a part of my resolutions when I make decisions for my faith and my walk with Christ in 2023. I want those words attached with it. That's what this sermon series is going to be for the next several weeks, and I'm looking forward to sharing in it with you. Today, we're going to talk about Jeremiah and his prophecy. Jeremiah's message is clear. You gave up a glorious God who is a God of regeneration, a God of renewal, a God of hope and promise, a God of love and faithfulness to build your own cisterns when you chose, when you got to the promised land, to start putting up Baal statues in your agricultural fields and Asherah poles. You begin to hedge your bet and not put all your trust in God. You see, you have some idols to deal with. How he uses that, he talks about cisterns that are dug, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But hear me on this. You can make all the life-changing resolutions you want, but if God is not in them, and if God is not the first of your resolutions to continue to grow towards Christ, friends, you're not gonna be joyful. You're not gonna be happy. You're not gonna find peace. You're not going to find love. That's where we need to be today. And that's why we come together as a church. And we're going to continue to grow in that direction. In his book, Wild at Heart, John Eldridge describes this human, he calls it a primal drive for life. It's the epicenter of our being. It's that longing to aspire for things that bring us life, to plan for those things, to take hold of those things, to enjoy those things, and then start the cycle all over again. He calls it again the primal drive for life. God has given you a primal drive for what will bring life. And the problem is we get misdirected. And we begin to think that there are other things that will bring us life and joy and happiness rather than God. Primal drive for life will be revealed in what you thirst for. That's the test. What is your choice when it comes to the primal drive for life? Will you choose God 
or will you choose getting something done, checking it off your list? There are many idols out there for us. You discern what yours are. Let the Lord help you in that. The issue Jeremiah wants to say to us again, I'm going to pick up here in Jeremiah 2. He's going to share with them. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride, this is God speaking, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, that relationship God had with his people, through a land not yet sown, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. And then he goes on to say in verse five, your ancestors, well, they strayed and they followed worthless idols. And then I brought you to this fertile land here, this promised land to eat its fruit, to be blessed by its rich produce, but you have defiled it by bringing other gods of other people into this land. Has a nation ever changed its gods? We'll just let that question resonate with us a little bit. My people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Well, if you think about it, it didn't take very long. The children of Israel came out of Egypt. God set them through that, that Red Sea, and they came to, the, to that uh, desert area to, to, in the wilderness, and they were to be in there probably, some estimate, maybe uh, 11 days to get through it, to get to Canaan. But what happened while in that time of wilderness? They forgot, right? They forgot about God's faithfulness and God's provision. They whined and they complained. And then when Moses goes up on the Mount Sinai, they're found in Exodus 32 to go get the 10 commandments of God to give to the people. What was it that the people were doing down below? Do you remember the story? They're getting the word of God, right? It's coming. They're building a golden calf to worship. They again exchanged God, the glorious God, the helpful God, the God of living waters for, well, something they made with their own gold. When they finally come to the promised land, they again, they hedge their bets with agricultural success, with tinkering with the God of Baal, which not only included uh, worshiping the God of the rain and the crops, and, but also worshiping by going to the brothels, sleeping with the prostitutes to ensure the fertility of their cattle. Jeremiah says again, you have exchanged the glory of God, the kabod, which means heaviness, this life-giving, life-changing, re, uh, regenerative power. You've exchanged a God of power, the God of the resurrection that they'll learn of later, the God of the one who parted the sea for worthlessness. And friends, we do the same thing today. I want to get things done. I want to move things quickly. I want to, to you know, create some time away. And, and my people that are closest to me will tell you there's times when there's a deviation in the plan that I get frustrated and, and then I'm hard to be around sometimes. So um, I got work to do. I don't know if the heavens were appalled at my behavior this past week. I hope not. But the heavens were declaring they were appalled that God's people had abandoned God so quickly. But before getting into that and unpacking that real quick, let's just look at uh, this illustration of Jeremiah a little closely. You know, we live in a community that we're very blessed with. I, I think we forget this, that we can walk into our home, we can walk around the corner into the restroom here, we can turn a faucet and 
and clean, fresh water comes out. But the people in third world countries today, like Tanzania, other places in Africa, other places in the world where you have to go to a well and draw your water every day. When we were in Tanzania, we found, saw people walk in the streets. When we would go preach and teach in a church, they would have all these five-gallon buckets of water. Somebody, the water man, had, had uh, brought the water and they would fill up their buckets and they would have buckets by the, by the bathroom areas. They would have buckets for the cooking water that was needed. And then and people in their homes that didn't have running water like we have today, you'd have to go get water, right? We have this water system in Tyler, you know, water towers. Gravity pushes that water right into your home underground through pipes. You turn a valve. It's amazing, isn't it? And that's all to say is we need water to survive. We get it very easily. But for others, it's, it's a burden. And what Jeremiah is saying, hey, if you have a living stream by your property where you can just go get water every day, if you have a cistern, well, you can build yourself a cistern, but isn't it disappointing that you might fill that cistern with rainwater if you need to gather water, and then you find out your cistern is leaking and now you have no water that you thought you were going to have? That's the analogy that he is giving to us. So let's look at it in a different way. In 1946, a gentleman by the name of Wilford Tessiger he was an Ethiopian-born explorer, author, photographer, with a band of four other uh, people from the Bedouin people, went across an impossible quarter of Arabia, desert travel, across harsh mountains. They reached a point where their water supply was running low. They're rationing their food. Their camels were on the verge of, of, of slowing, showing signs of collapsing. And of all things, their water packs were skins that were sweating and dripping a trail of water drops as they moved across the desert. And he's watching all this. He says, as I dreamed, I even dreamed of refreshing cool streams of water to quench my thirst. We were dying of thirst. And just hearing his account made me think about how thirsty am I for God? How thirsty am I for God? Or am I building my own cisterns that leak their water? Well, friends, the good news is, found in verse 13, Jeremiah says, my people committed two sins, but he says, they've forsaken me. I am the spring of living water. So I did a little study this week. I'm thinking, how important is this narrative to God that we are a people of the spring of living water? Friends, it's everywhere in the Bible. It's at the beginning, it's at the end, it's in the middle, it comes out of Jesus's mouth. So let's just visit this real quick. Genesis 2, 6, creation story, second creation story, we find that Humans have not been created yet, but in verse 6 of chapter 2, it says, Before the creation of human beings, streams came up forth from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Before humans were even brought into life, God brought water to this planet to keep us alive and to sustain us. It's at the very beginning. It's in the Garden of Eden. And then God provided water in the desert. God's people come out of Egypt, out of slavery. They're wandering in the wilderness. People begin to complain. We're going to be brought out here. God brought us out here to die of thirst. And what 
God goes, has a little meeting with Moses. Moses says, take that staff in your hand, tap that rock. What happens? Water, streams of water come out. The people are, are given the water they need to survive. That's found in Exodus 17. Then I was reading in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47. And I saw a vision that I had forgotten about. It says, rivers of living water were flowing from the temple of the Lord from Jerusalem, and they were flowing down to the Dead Sea. And as they flowed down to the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea and the fish became alive because there was good water now, and trees began to spring up along the Dead Sea, and they were bearing fruit. If you've been to Israel, friends, the area around the Dead Sea, a salt sea, is dead. There is nothing there pleasant to see. It is harsh reality. It is barren, it is desolate, and the vision is what? Water comes down from the temple, which is in that same region, to come bring full life and bring fruit. That's the glory of God, renewing, regenerating, restoring, replenishing. And then in Genesis 22, as we come to the end of the Bible, 22, one through two, Eden is restored. The angels show me the river of water of life, clear and crystal flowing from the throne of God, the lamb of Jesus flowing down the middle of the straight street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing fruit and those leaves of that tree were the healing of the nations. That's where the story ends, a new Eden, all replenished by God's flowing water. But good news for you, you don't have to wait because Jesus, when he was walking this earth, encountered a woman at the well. You know the story from John 4. He says to her, everyone who drinks water from me, from this will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will what? Never thirst. And then Jesus, as this, that was the call to worship this morning, and then commemorating the Feast of Booths, Jacob read from John chapter 7. Let me give you a little background here. The Feast of Booths, the people would go mandatorily to Jerusalem. They would live in little sh shanties and shelters, and they would remember the days when the people were moving across the wilderness, and they remember God's provision of water in the wilderness when the people ran out of water by going to, right, the priest would take a, a, some kind of pitcher, a gold pitcher. He would go to the pool of Siloam. He would carry it to the steps of the temple. He would go around the altar seven times and he would pour the water out as a libation offering, remembering God's great provision. And it's there that Jesus steps up and says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is connecting the old history, faithfulness of God's provision with him saying, I am now the living water and you need to come to me and I will quench your thirst. So friends, we have a decision to make. We have to make resolute resolutions today of how we will live 2023. Will we stay close? Will we stay connected? Will we continue to draw water from the living water? Or will we build cisterns that leak? That's the question to ponder. St. John of the Cross, Spanish Catholic priest of the 16th century, known for his poetry, studies the development of the soul, was persecuted for bringing reform to the Carmelite order. 
He was kidnapped and imprisoned. He was confined to a tiny cell, so small, the size of a closet where he could not even stand up. He had no separate bathroom. Use your own imagination for that. Few scraps of food and water were thrown into him, which he had to take up off of that floor. He was brought out often. He was beaten for months, so much so that he was crippled uh, uh, permanently. He had no change of clothes. He had no opportunity to wash for months. He had lice and he had dysentery. Why do I bring him up? Because theologians will say it was during that time of intense persecution that St. John of the Cross wrote his best material about God and God's love and the dark night of the soul and how God comes to us when we want nothing more than God alone, even when our circumstances are horrific. He can write because he had a river of life flowing in him. And so friends, having said that, I have to tell you, yesterday I woke up from a song from MYF. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Come on, sing along with me. Spring up, oh well, within my soul. Spring up, oh well, and make me whole. Spring up, oh well, and give to me that life abundantly. But that's the second verse I never learned. And the third I want to share with you. I've got a river of life flowing within me. It started gushing up when God set me free. That I set, that I keep the flow is my only plea. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Once I call on his name, there's a flow within. It turns me from my day like Tuesday, makes him Lord again. As my spirit burns, Satan cannot win, calling, oh Lord Jesus, keep the flow within. Keep the flow within us, Lord. We're thirsty. Keep the flow coming. Hallelujah. Amen. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for
Thank you for watching our broadcast this morning. I'd like to personally invite you to join us for Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 11 on our campus at 300 West Urban Street, downtown Tyler. I hope you'll visit our website to learn more about our church and its ministry and serving opportunities. And if we can be of any assistance in your spiritual growth, I hope you'll let me know. May God bless you with a Christ-centered life as we pursue Christ together.